Hi, my name is Coralie McKean. Welcome to Let's Talk About Hot Topics. Today's podcast is called 50 Shades of Sexuality, where we will discuss sexuality and human development. We'll explore identity, sexual changes one experiences through life, and we will look closely at how culture, religion, family, and peers influence that development. We will explore the success and downfalls of relationships that bring forth pain, hardship, victory, and joy. We will look at the growth of progress through Erickson's stages of life and Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how this development impacts connections and relationships. We will look at how intimacy and self-esteem affect profound orgasms that lead to power, energy, and self-actualization. Please sit back and enjoy my personal story I hope you may learn something new, and if not, I hope you enjoy a few laughs with us as we look closely at my life. Hi, I'm Kate Shirley, and welcome to the Girls Gabbing Podcast. I will be interviewing Coralie. We will look at Coralie's development, sexual identity, and changes throughout her life. So tell me, Coralie, how long have we known each other? Well, at least 14 years. Mm, No, but close, well over a decade, for sure. Yeah, Um, So besides speaking about sexuality, since you started taking psychology of sexuality and human development, have we ever talked about sexuality? Uh, No, we haven't. Do you think that's kind of odd, given how long we've been friends, that this is something that we've never really talked about? Um, I guess it's odd. Do you talk about sexuality with lots of your friends? Not lots, but I definitely (laughs) have a close friend, or like a few close ones that we... We talk about it more than you and I ever have, for sure. You know, now that you say that, I don't think that I really talk about sexuality with With anyone. anyone. Except my husband. Which, yeah. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. Um, Tell me a little bit about where you grew up and your relationship with your parents and siblings. Well, I grew up in a small Catholic town community in Saskatchewan. Um, My dad is a farmer, but we lived in town. Um, I come from a big family. So there are seven of us, and I was the second youngest. My younger brother was uh, three and a half years younger than me, and my older sibling, um, she was six and a half years older. So there was quite a big age gap between us. Um, my parents were practicing Catholics. Uh, they were also really involved in the community with different organizations, clubs, you name it. They were busy all the time. Um, and I remember them being gone a lot in the evenings. And I remember saying to my mom, you know, I wish that you wouldn't have to go away every night. And she went away again. (laughs) Anyways, I don't think, um, that me asking her that was going to keep her at home. Um, but I just remember feeling that like she was, they were gone a lot. So what are your earliest memories of your family and your parents? Um, well, my earliest memory is with my sibling, about my siblings, because they were a lot older and they were always having lots of fun, having friends over, partying, and they would never allow me to join their fun. And I think one night I got really upset and I decided that I was going to run around the house and collect all the beer bottle caps to show mom and dad that they were having a party to get them into (laughs) trouble. And, uh, yeah, I couldn't understand why they let, wouldn't let me join them. I mean, I was six, eight, ten years younger than them. Maybe that was the reason. Um, 
And I guess it wasn't such a bad thing. It made me stronger, like more self-sufficient. Um, if no one was gonna look out for me, I guess I had to look out for myself. So I grew fearless and tried new things. And I was not afraid to stand up to anyone. With uh, a lack of attention and love through this stage though, I feel like it definitely imp impacted relationships that I have now um, with my children, with my friends, and with my husband. Quality time is my love language and I spend quality time, a lot of quality time with most of the important people in my life. Um, a few years ago, my mom actually told me that I spend too much time with my kids. What? And I thought, you know what, maybe I do. Maybe I'm so possessive with my time with people because I didn't have it when I was younger. Maybe. And so then I decided I was going to ask my kids. Recently, I actually just asked them. And my daughters said, oh, are you kidding? I love spending time with you and I can't get enough. And my oldest son actually said, sometimes it's annoying, but I do <laughs> like spending time with you. And so I feel like I can't, I don't think we can, I can harm them by wanting to spend time no. with them. No, definitely not. I mean, I think there's probably a difference between I want to spend time with you and you're not allowed to spend time with anybody but me. <laughs> That's where exactly. the harm comes in, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so if your earliest memories were when you were, let's say, four or five based on that, let's look at Erickson's third stage of development with four to five-year-olds. This stage is initiative versus guilt. At this time, would you have been uh, someone who was taking action or did you not take action because you felt like you were doing something wrong? Well, I think that I would have obviously taken action. Um, I ran around the house finding all those bottle caps and I found people to hang out with that, that liked me for who I was. Um, and so, yeah, I was self-reliant. Um, I think that my personality was also extroverted, which means that I get my energy from being around them. And... Um, yeah, I just, I guess I wanted love and attention and I went to look for it outside of my home. Uh, so can you share with me what it was like to go through middle childhood around age six to 12? And how do you relate to Erickson's fourth stage of development, industry versus inferiority stage? Mm -hmm. I think that during this stage, I was very energetic, hanging out with friends all the time. And I think that I developed a real sense of who I was, a sense of pride that came from the acceptance and the love that I gained. Um, I found friends at school, in the neighborhood, people who would give me attention and the, and the love that I was seeking. I found a new sense of belonging, a sense of power, acceptance, and energy that I could actually accomplish anything. It maybe also helped that I was blonde hair, blue eyed with big dimples. Um, <laughs> you are pretty cute. <laughs> uh, Murray and colleagues states that the fourth stage does not directly impact sexual development. The sense of self relates to feelings of confidence affecting intimate relationships. And going into this fifth stage, I felt confident, successful, and capable of creating meaningful relationships, but I was nowhere interested in sexuality at this time. So you mentioned in the beginning that you came from a, a strong practicing uh, Catholic home. What do you remember about your religious upbringing and the sexuality at this time? Um, well, we went to church every Sunday. That was important to my parents and it, it was important to me as well. I think that my faith has always been strong like it was for them. Um, 
mean, I, re I remember around this time when my cousins, I first found out from them where babies came from and how they were born. And I remember feeling so disgusted. Um, but also I felt a little hurt because I had to hear this from my younger cousins and not my own mom. From younger cousins nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. That would be probably shocking as well. <laughs> yes. Um, so when you were 13 to 19 years old, Erickson's stage of development was identity versus role confusion. How did you feel about your sexuality through this stage? I had a strong sense of who I was. There was no confusion in my identity or sexuality. I liked boys. They liked me. I knew for sure that I was a heterosexual, cisgender female. I started actually dating boys behind my parents' back at this time. Hmm. So how do you think growing up in a Catholic home with faithful parents affected your sexuality through this stage? Uh, well, it's when I first learned about sexuality from my mom. She actually told me that sex, sex was a two-minute enjoyment and it was only good for the man. So don't even bother doing it because it's not fun for the girl. <laughs> And uh, I think I must have believed her because I didn't really pursue sex at this time with anyone. Um, to me, I felt though virginity was like uh, sacred and I wanted to protect it. And it was something that I could keep as mine and, and control it. And nobody would take it from me unless I would allow them. So do you think because your mom never talked to you about sexuality that you have potentially repressed the desire to talk about sex with me or your other friends? I think so, probably unconsciously. Um, I think I've repressed it because talking about sex um, deep down, maybe I think that it's wrong or bad or that I shouldn't share it publicly. I don't know. Last week, actually, uh, my oldest daughter, who is now 24, told me that I told her nothing about sexuality. Hmm. Can you imagine? I No, like I feel like I, I have been potentially hands-on just talking about sexuality with my kids to the point that I've made them uncomfortable. They're, they all they all share with me quite openly, but I remember times where they were like, please stop. So, wow. yeah. I can't believe that. I'm just in shock. I'm like, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I did. She forgets. I don't know. Um, but I wonder if it's hard for me to talk about it. Like it was for my mom yeah. to talk, like wasn't able to speak to me about it either. Um, peer relationships are also an essential part of this stage in development. Um, how do you think those relationships affected your growth at this time? Yeah, so when I turned 15, I dated a boy who I grew really fond of. He was wonderful, and I liked him a lot. Um, but he broke up with me. When I, and when I went back to hang out with my girlfriends, uh, my one friend said, we weren't good enough for you when you were dating, so don't expect, expect to take us back, take you back now. Ouch. Yeah, I was devastated. Like, this destroyed me. I felt alone. Not to mention this boy just got this fancy new car and he, I mean, he, was, he was graduating, <laughs> driving around town, like spinning his wheels and like, here I am all alone. Like it was humiliating too, I think. I don't know. Um, so I decided if I wanted to have friends, I guess I had to start hanging out with the most popular person in school. So I did. We had a lot of fun partying, drinking every Friday and Saturday and Sunday. The two of us went through many different relationships with boys. They usually didn't last long. The two of us often double dated, um, but nothing ever progressed in those relations sexually, for me anyways. Do you know the nickname that I found out 
the boys gave me at this time. No. It's really embarrassing. I don't know if I can say it. But my husband was upset when I told him. Oh, and I no. I didn't know why. But I, they called me the cock tease. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? And your husband was upset? He was. I don't know. I think he just doesn't like anybody thinking about me. In yes. <laughs> it's a bad name. I'm embarrassed to say it. But... I guess I still had my virginity, so that's all I cared about. Mm-hmm. Interesting as mm-hmm. well, hey? Yeah. But anyways, the more I became that popular person, the more I lost myself. And when my friend graduated a year ahead of me and moved away, then I was back to having no one again. And all the boys that we hung out with had graduated and hmm. moved away too. So I actually went through a really major depression. Um, I went for counseling, which helped a bit. Um but yeah, I was not interested in sex during this time. I never found anybody um, that I wanted to be intimate with, and nor was I able to focus on that because I feel like I was so focused on my own emotional, social well-being um, and just the desire to want to have connection with people that I couldn't even think about intimacy. Um, but anyways, I was very lost and confused, and I guess I had world confusion because I didn't know who I was, what I wanted, or even how to connect with people. When you're in depression, it's really hard to get out. Yes. It's lonely and terrible, and I didn't know if I would ever get out. And then at age 17, I moved away to go to Saskatoon to university, um, and I lived with my cousin, and that's when my life started to change. We were very close. I remember falling asleep at night, night rubbing each other's back, mm-hmm. laying beside each other. We spent time laughing and talking late into the night. She gave me the love and the sense of belonging, which helped me through that depression. Feeling like I belonged and I was loved gave me a higher self-esteem and self-confidence. That third and fourth step to Maslow's hierarchy of needs and is the sixth step in Erickson's developmental stage. I slowly became more confident and had a great understanding of who I was. The sense of confidence gave me the desire to actually explore my sexuality. And at this time, I was intimate for the first time with a boyfriend that I had been dating um, when I turned 19 for eight months. Something. Yeah. Okay. Um, So can you explain to me what your young adulthood was like um, in Erickson's six, six stages of life ages 20 to 40 um how did you feel about yourself and your sexuality at this time and did you find intimacy or experience isolation well I actually met my husband in my fourth year of university um but when I first met him I knew that we would get married I just had this sense that we would be together it was something there was something about him that was drawing me to him and actually two nights before we had met I wrote a love letter to God telling him all the things that I wanted in a spouse and um, I think that helped me to to really know the night that I met him that I found that person because I had in my head I had this clear picture of all the things that he would represent or be or have um, and so yeah so we started dating and um, at that time all my friends were still single And I was trying to break up with him because I wanted to continue being single with my friends. We had so much fun together. And I just, I couldn't break up with him. It was like this force that kept pulling us together. 
that I couldn't stop. And then, so we got married two years later, and this July we'll be married for 26 years. Aww. That's a long time. It is a long time. I didn't think when I was dating, and neither did my mom actually when I think back, that I would ever find somebody that I would date for forever because I could never hold forever. I would never want to be in a relationship for longer than, you know, a date, two days, boring. Ah. You guys are such a yin and yang though. I think that's it. Yeah, Yeah, we really really are. are. Um, so what was your stage of Maslow's hierarchy of needs during this time? Esteem and self-confidence or self-actualization or both? Can you also identify, um, where this fits into Erickson's seventh stage of development? Well, it started as esteem and it went to self-actualization probably during my 30s. My self-worth is um, very high. I was very confident and secure. Um, Also really creative, not only in caring for my children, but for those around me. Um, I encouraged my kids to play musical instruments. And to this day, when we're together, we sing, play and and dance, play guitars. And and it's uh, lots of fun. Um, I also wanted to help other parents to be their best. So I started a parent support group in Lloydminster. I think that is fulfilling Erickson's seventh middle adulthood stage of generativity versus stagnation. For sure. Just giving, right? Instead of just being nothing. And then LaFortune and Friends did a study and found information on components for a more fulfilled sex life, including a strong bond with your sexual partner and developing one's capacity to be fully present and non-judgmental. Do you and your husband have this view? And how do you think that uh, spirituality fits into your intimacy? Yeah, so we're both spiritual people. Um, I think the love that we share is agape love. Agape love is love for of Christians for other persons corresponding to God's love for mankind, which is unselfish. Um, when we got married, our sex was good, but the longer we've known each other, it's just become better and better. Sex became so much more than just the act of intimacy. It's a bond between my intellect, the emotional, the social, the spiritual, and the physical self. My husband is very determined to make sure that every sexual encounter is a state of euphoria or tranquility. Um, And that started with him just understanding my body, things that helped me to reach orgasm, understanding what to do with those parts of my body that brought on that stimulation. Um, It's not uncommon for me to orgasm two to three times while making love. My husband also loves to be intimate and he usually never has trouble reaching (laughs) orgasm. So together we have a very fulfilled sex life that comes from our physical connection and our spiritual connection. In my experience, our bond, being fully present, non-judgmental, selfless, helps us to reach that state of euphoria, which is a gift. It's a beautiful thing. I longed for it when I was 13 and I didn't even know what it was, but now I'm so thankful to have had it and to be married, still married after 25 years to the same person. Um, I recently read a book, Vagina Wolf, and she states that everyone who experiences unusually profound orgasms have extraordinary power, Hmm. energy, confidence, and self-love. I think I've achieved that. (laughs) Which, gotta say, that's pretty amazing for a little girl who learned that... It's a two-minute ordeal to be endured, and then you've managed to have, like, the exact opposite kind of relationship. Like, that's empowering, really, and amazing. It is. It makes me happy for you. Yeah, to think, hey, that I didn't accept that 
like I didn't take that as, but I knew that it was very sacred, and so I wanted to cherish yes. that. And so I think that's what I kept close to my heart, not the fact that it was going to this horrible, terrible thing. To endure. <laughs> um, so, like, this is all really fascinating to me as I listen to you. How do you think that you could share this information with potential clients? Well, um, a study by Marchand and colleagues said, as a counselor, one must be equipped with the knowledge and be able to communicate the steps and processes of helping others to use stimulation to help achieve orgasm. Uh, Vagina Wolf also states that we're missing a connection between freedom and creativity and the awakening of a woman's passionate nature. She also believes that full sexual and emotional release for women requires activation of the automatic nervous system, the ANS, the activation of respiration, lubrication, heart rate affects the vaginal engorement and muscular contraction and orgasmic release. You know what? I told you the wrong name. The book is called Vagina. The author is Wolf. Oh, okay. And so there. <laughs> In my mind, I was like, is that her pen name? Because yeah, like, that's, that's, a, that's a name and a half if she was born with it. But yeah, okay, that makes sorry, more sense. Clarify that. So if the client's goal is to read reach that state of euphoria through intercourse, then I wouldn't, I would help them using C- CBT to get where they'd like to go through countertransference. Um, Wolf states that a woman's sense of arousal must be measured in the mind and not just the body, which actually fits really well into CBT therapy. Some other things I would ask the client are, what are your thoughts and beliefs around sexuality? Do you have any opposing ideas about sex? Are those thoughts coming from all or nothing thinking or coming from jumping to conclusions? Are they magnifying the negative? Are they um, emotionally reasoning, labeling or of self or blaming others? We would then create a new belief and see how we could help um, the client through that, through counseling. If the client wanted to go deeper though, we would also look closely at the physical aspects of sexuality. A study done by Leavitt and colleagues states that therapists should consider exploring a woman's ability to understand her pleasure and arousal rather mm-hmm. than only focusing on the partner's pleasure. I hope to, sh- to share and educate clients who need this help through my personal experiences that I would share through countertransference. As a counselor, I would be cognizant, cognizant of possible transference through therapy with my client the client would could be angry at me for thinking that I'm a know-it-all or they could resent me for being a heterosexual cisgender. I need to be prepared to handle that, those transferences, which might be dealt, must be dealt with, like, accordingly. That all sounds awesome. Like, really good. Um, so have you always had a strong relationship with your husband physically, emotionally, and socially? Well, no, we've gone through ups and downs like every couple, right? I know that there's been times and actually recently we've gone through a really hard time during COVID. Um, We just have opposing views on what that is and what it should look like for us as a family. And we, you know what, we really have to work hard if we want to maintain that relationship. And so, you know, we've gone for counseling. Um, We've you know, taking time to spend time together, like really quality time. Um, We try to focus on things that we have in common, our core beliefs. 
getting back to focusing on those positives rather than on the negatives that are maybe pulling us apart like that it has been through COVID. And I can say that we survived, yay, COVID. And he's not vaccinated and I am and here we are. And you're still going strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I know it's been tough. Um, how do you think your culture, di- cultural diversity um, might affect those that you're trying to help? I think that having my lens maybe is different. That diversity that I've gotten, that I have from my experiences is maybe a very narrow scope of humanity. Um, And I think that only includes heterosexual, cisgender, wealthy, Caucasian, educated, you know, and there's just such a, a bigger range of people out there. And learning about and understanding others' perspectives will open up my cultural diversity and help me with those biases too. Being cognizant of the potential biases will help me um, in transference and counter-transference between me and my client. Clients may see things from different lenses, which may affect my ability to relate and to meet them where they're at. So I'm going to have to do a lot of educating and a lot of um, trial and error. Growth. Yeah. What are your protective factors? Uh, Well, I have strong family ties. Um, I have a wonderful relationship with my husband. I have four great kids. Um, I have a strong purpose in life, I feel. I'm a leader in the community. Um, When I have gone through hard times, I've always gone for counseling and help to get through those struggles. Um, And also, going through that major depression when I was 15, I know how I got there and I will never go back. And I've never been back there since because I know what I need to do to stay out of it. On the path that you want to be on. Yeah. Yeah. So then what are your strengths? Um, Communication, um, being organized. I'm hardworking. I am spiritual. I'm helpful. I'm not afraid to take risks. Um, I'm outgoing. I think I'm smart. Uh, I hope. <laughs> I think you're smart too. Uh, I have a strong sense of esteem, of self-confidence, and actually reaching self-actualization stage makes me feel really good about myself knowing that I am doing more. I'm using my gifts to help others. Um, what are your weaknesses? My weaknesses? Oh, okay, there's a few. Um, listening when there's a lot going on around me. Um, maybe identifying, um, understanding others' cultural identities, dealing with introvertedness, um, people who are maybe opposite of me that are, um, you know, maybe not understanding where I'm coming from because they have different, you know, and understanding where they're coming from, um, pushing my beliefs onto others, judging others. I need to be mindful of my own beliefs and not push them onto others because, because that's what worked for me. But I must dis- help others discover what they need to feel self-actualization, self-confidence, and euphoria through orgasms. Um, how do you think you can help minorities in sex and gender better um, now that you know your own weaknesses and biases? Well, Grace and Wells state that sexual and gender minorities suffer from bigotry and alienation. And I will continue to learn and grow to ensure I adhere to the code of ethics by respecting, validating, and acknowledging personal privilege and taking action against racism and the mistreatment of minorities. A study done by Wilker John 
Black and colleagues showed that using feedback-informed therapy, um, acronym FIT, is a tool that therapists can use. It offers feedback from the client's perspective about the counseling session, and then the, the counselor can take that information and adjust their practices to help assist the client appropriately. Um, so you referenced some of what, like, you, you're quite privileged. <laughs> what barriers can come from having these privileges and how could it potentially cause unhealthy uh, counter-transference to your parents or to your clients? Sorry. That's okay. Um, well, I know what it's like. I don't know what it's like to be a minority or non-binary, colored, divorced, or poor person. With ethics, professionals need to ensure the client's rights, dignity, and confidences are protected. And so the counselor needs to have um, awareness of those differences, right? And you need to be sensitive to them. Um, counselors need to have parental consent if the child is minor. And they must have the necessary training to treat the client or refer the client elsewhere if they're feeling like they cannot, um, they're not able to help the client through whatever it is they're going through. You must be open to that, honest, transparent with the client um, about one's actions. And uh, stepping up to advocate for minority groups in society also helps to promote the well-being and needs of minority people. Very, yeah, that's awesome. Um, so an article written by Edward Hoffman states, self-actualizing people have deeper and more profound interpersonal relations than any other adult. Maslow veered self viewed self-actualizing men and women as typically involved in the growth-enhancing social world of friendship, romantic love, marriage, child-rearing, and societal service. How do you feel when you hear this, and can you relate to it? Yeah, so being in self-actualization sta stage is really empowering. I think it can benefit people um, in general. Um, just helps to make society a better place to live in. I can see how it's affected my relationships with my friends, my husband, and my family. Um, I feel Erickson's stage of middle adulthood, which is creativity over stagnation, is similar to Maslow's self-actualization stage. Um, there was a study done by Stokes and Friends that states, sexual life is an important component of well-being throughout life, including later life. How does this make you feel? Um, well, I value in the importance of sexuality and personal development. After speaking aloud about my sexuality, um, I feel like maybe I'll be able to talk about it a little easier with others, um, clients, and my children, I hope. <laughs> I'm excited to look forward to sharing it with others. And I am so thankful that you have given me the opportunity to help me talk about this because I think it's really opened up that, that whatever that was, like a repression, I guess, of my feelings that it wasn't something to talk about. And I'm really thankful for that. Thanks for helping me through that. Of course. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Do you have any advice for me working with diversities regarding my own identity and sexual development? Um, truthfully, I think my biggest advice to you is to just keep being you. Um, as I listen to you, if there's anything that I would say, I feel like potentially you're a little bit too hard on yourself, um, knowing that 
um, one of your best friends is a visible minority and I am a divorced single mom and you've been, you've watched me go through the ups and downs of that. And I think if you can just continue to surround yourself with the friends who might be a little bit more diverse or your classmates that you've mentioned to me that are going through different, um, stages regarding their own sexuality and just continue to be open-minded and compassionate. I think you're, you're going to absolutely thrive through your own experiences and yeah I think just keep doing what you're doing because I think you're rocking it thank you (laughs) I'm drawn to people when I see somebody who is hurting it doesn't matter to me what nationality they are what color what gender I just feel like I need I can give them some peace or some health like medicine if you can say like but it's the emotional and the mental medicine that I that I love to 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 offer that's what I feel like I have to give. So it's great. But this project has really allowed me to reflect on the stages of Erickson's development in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I, I struggled in development at times. I see that. Um, but I was health in a healthier place. And then I would regress. And then I was healthy again. But it was neat to see how those stages reflected the underlying themes that were essential in order to advance to that next step. I'm excited to help others through that process in the future, I think. And I'm excited for you and for the people that you'll be helping because I think you're you're going to make a big difference in a lot of lives. Aw, thank you. Well, I hope you've enjoyed our talk today. Thanks for joining. Let's talk about Hot Topics, 50 Shades of Sexuality. Please like us and follow our podcast. Um, I will include the journals and books that I've referenced in the show notes. Please leave us comments. Uh, we would love to know what you liked or did not like about the podcast. Thanks for listening. See you soon when we get together to talk about hot topics.